This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. Please turn in your Bibles this evening to the end of John chapter 18. We'll begin at verse 39, look at the last few verses of John 18, and then we will continue on into chapter 19 through verse 15. John 18, 39 through 19, 15. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant and inspired word. And this is here, Pilate speaking, picking up where we left off last week. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man! Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. The grass withers, the flower falls, But the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. 
Father, as we look to your word this evening, I pray that you would ready our hearts to receive it, that you would write on our hearts the truth of what your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has endured for our salvation. And though we see in our passage tonight many lies and deceptions and the wicked machinations of man, we also see your great love and we also see your truth shine through. I pray that you would write your truth on our hearts this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in a world where the truth doesn't matter, corruption and evil will reign. In a situation where people are captive to ideologies that are false and harmful and destructive, the leadership will go to great and untold lengths to suppress the dirty secrets about how they are living and leading by lies and corruption. Now, I'm not talking about America in 2023, though, if the shoe fits. But at the end of our passage last Sunday evening, we saw Pilate utter the ominous question, what is truth? The very truth of all truths the Lord Jesus Christ had appeared in Pilate's midst and revealed himself, having revealed the very glory of his kingdom coming. The problem is not that Pilate does not know the truth. He even said after that ominous question when he returned to the Jewish prosecutors, I find no fault in him at all. At issue was not a lack of knowledge of the truth, at issue was that Pilate knew the truth and simply did not care enough to act accordingly. And what about the Jews? They also knew the truth. For months, for years, they had followed Jesus around. They had been trying to come up with anything they could to trap him, to silence him, to discredit him, and to harm him. Now, in the process, they witnessed some of his most powerful works and heard his most powerful words, but it did not matter. They were spiritually blinded. They were ideologues committed to a kingdom that was passing away. They would not relinquish their power, their control, their authority, their reputations for anything else. Corruption and chaos typically do not result from lack of knowledge of the truth, but rather a lack of concern to act according to the truth. The ignorance can often be corrected with facts and with reason, but the indifferent and the ideologues cannot. Both the Jews and Pilate had heard the truth about Jesus. The Jews could only rage and seethe and fight, and Pilate could only shrug. Both played their part. But as I have said many times as we have looked at Jesus' trials and sufferings, God is still working. There is only one way this can end. Jesus has already said many times how this ends. It ends with him suffering and dying for the sins of his people. He knows this. 
He purposes this. He wants this. He is not merely a man subjected to the whims and corruptions of evil men. He is God in the flesh using the very evil and corruption of men to accomplish his purposes. In the last two installments from John, we have looked at Jesus' Jewish and Roman trials, respectively. Tonight, we look at the final showdown, the final confrontation as Jesus' destiny, though already determined even from eternity past, is worked out in time and space and at the hands of evil men. We'll look at this final showdown tonight in three points. First, avoidance. We see this starting in verse 39 of chapter 18 and then continuing through verse 5 of chapter 19. Pilate tries a few tricks to appease the crowd and release Jesus, but they fail. And second, we see abdication in verses 6 through 11. Pilate, realizing that his attempts at appeasement have failed, he tries one last time to get something out of Jesus that will help, but to no avail. And third, we see abandonment in verses 12 through 15. The Jews reveal their true priorities as it relates to their God and his word. And Pilate simply leaves Jesus to their whims and gives the Jews what they want. So avoidance and abdication and abandonment, those are our points for this evening. First, we see avoidance in the end of verse or the end of chapter 18 through verse 5 of chapter 19. Now, the last thing that Pilate said at the end of our passage last week was that he found no fault in Jesus. In a perfectly just and proper legal proceeding, that would have been the end of it. I find no fault in him. He's not guilty of the charges. Let him go. But Pilate is corrupt. Pilate does not care about the truth. Now, it is often depicted that Pilate caves to the crowd's demands because he is afraid. There was some fear, certainly fear of man at work, and that fear intensifies later, as we see in the text. But I don't think that fully accounts for his actions. If you know anything about the Roman Empire, they had very little to be afraid of. I mentioned before an incident recorded in Luke 13, 1, where Pilate had mingled the blood of certain Galilean rebels with their sacrifices. In other words, Pilate was no respecter of the Jews. He would kill them and even commit sacrilege against their religion if it meant maintaining Roman power and Roman order. He was not afraid of the Jews, or at least that was not the predominant feature that characterized his relationship with them. Pilate could say the word and the Roman legion, one of the greatest fighting forces the world had ever seen, would show up and take care of any problems. It seems at least starting out here, Pilate is really just looking for an easy way out of the situation. He decided this wasn't the hill he wanted to die on. Simply declaring Jesus innocent as he was and then acting accordingly and releasing him. Instead, Pilate resorts to some other attempts to appease the crowd to see if the Jews will settle for something less than Jesus' death. 
So first he offers something of a prisoner swap. In verse 38, he offered to release Jesus to them as there was apparently this custom where at the Passover one Jewish prisoner could be freed. So Pilate tries to make an offer around this tradition that will spare Jesus. He offers them a choice between Jesus and Barabbas. Now John records for us that Barabbas is a robber. Of course, that was not all that was true of Barabbas. Luke records in Luke 23, 19 that Barabbas also participated in murder and rebellion. Barabbas was a career violent criminal if there ever was one. He's the last guy you would want getting out of prison and going back onto the streets. Certainly, if you get one free prisoner release per year, you would not want to use it on this guy. But this is how blinded the Jews are in their hatred for Jesus. They would rather free a man like Barabbas and let him be back out on the streets to rob and to kill than to let Jesus go who has done no crimes, but merely challenges their power and authority. The corruption on both sides is laid bare. Pilate's because he won't just do the right thing and let Jesus go. And also, on the side of the Jews, that they would want someone like Barabbas released to them instead of Jesus. All this so they can have their measure of personal vengeance. So Pilate's first attempt to free Jesus has failed. But he tries another. Maybe he thinks they will settle not for Jesus' death, but for some public torture and humiliation. So at the opening of chapter 19, we see that Pilate had Jesus scourged. He had him whipped and beaten. Now the sort of scourging that the Romans dished out in that day, it wouldn't have just been merely a lashing with some smooth leather whips. They used these big whips with multiple straps and they'd have rocks and glass weaved into them. They were designed to do some damage. They would tear flesh, they would cause a lot of pain a lot of bleeding, a lot of prisoners would even die of flogging before they would be crucified or anything else. We also see that Jesus was publicly mocked and ridiculed. There was this crown of thorns that was made and placed on his head. It wouldn't have been merely set there, it would have been placed with force. The thorns would have been driven into his head, causing much pain and blood. And they also gave Jesus a purple robe. Pilate is essentially ordering this spectacle created in response to the charge that has been brought against Jesus. Remember, the charge was sedition. The charge was that Jesus had made himself a rival king to Caesar. So Pilate is basically making this statement, All right, you want a king of the Jews? I'll show you a king of the Jews. Now, under Roman dominion, there would be no king of the Jews. Any such attempts to raise up a king would be put down with violence. So on the one hand, Pilate is trying to appease the Jews, but on another hand, he is sort of mocking them. If you ever had a king, he would be nothing more than this. And yet Pilate's ultimate intention in this is that 
after this beating and humiliation and torture, Jesus would be released. Yes, at this point, he's been beaten up and bloodied. He'll carry some scars, but at least he can still escape alive. And in verse 4, Pilate even says so. He says, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then in verse 5, Jesus is brought out, beaten, bloodied, this ugly display, and presented to the crowd. Maybe Pilate thinks that the sight of this brutality will be enough to convince the Jews that, okay, he has suffered enough. Surely he has learned his lesson. He is now publicly ashamed and disgraced. There is no need to punish him further. But the Jews will not accept this either. They were never going to accept anything less than Jesus' death. After all, they had been working on this plot for months, and they were so close to seeing its end. They had no pity. They had no humanity. They had no concern for Jesus' suffering. They were out for blood, and they would not stop until they had it. And this brings us to our next point. After Pilate's failed attempts at avoidance, we come to abdication in verses 6 through 11. When the leaders of the Jews see Jesus in this pathetic and humiliating state, all they can say is what they have said all along. They want Jesus dead. They cry out, crucify him. Pilate, realizing that they will settle for nothing less, still wants no part in it. He tells them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Of course, that's not going to happen. The whole reason they were there that morning is because only the Romans had the authority to crucify someone. This is Pilate's problem, but he wants to abdicate from it. He wants to run away from it. But the Jews, for their part... They at least needed a veneer of legitimacy on this proceeding that a Roman execution would provide. If they took Jesus and killed him themselves, they would be bandits, thugs, and outlaws. They would be murderers. Whereas if the Romans do it, they could still maintain, despite all the evidence to the contrary, that justice had somehow been done. And so in verse 7, the Jews respond again to Pilate. They say, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, this is a very revealing statement for a few reasons. First, they make an appeal to their law. Now, Jesus had said and done nothing contrary to the law of God, the law of the Old Testament. <laughs> Jesus was, in fact, the fulfillment of that law. He is how the law comes to its fullest and final form. The problem is that these Jewish leaders have added to God's law their own laws and traditions, which they held equal to God's laws. Jesus had broken none of God's law, but he has transgressed their authority and power and teachings and traditions, and for this he must die. Of course, this also represents a moving of the goalposts regarding what they told Pilate before. It's a different set of charges that they are really interested in. Remember, they initially painted this case as sedition, 
Jesus had made himself this rival king to Caesar. But now in their anger and rage, they betray their true intention. They claim that Jesus has made himself out to be a rival to God. This is for them a purely religious dispute. Now for a Jewish religious dispute, the Romans had no place being involved or rendering judgment. Of course, also betrayed in the Jews' statement in verse 7 is their denial of Jesus' divinity. Now we know, because we have seen this all throughout John, what this means. No Jesus, no God. No Jesus, no salvation. No knowledge of the Son, no knowledge of the Father. By denying and rejecting Christ, they reject the very God who they claim to worship and whose laws they claim to defend. Now, this is important in our day because a lot of people think about religious Judaism even now as basically Christianity that's just missing a few points. There's talk of a Judeo-Christian morality and ethic and things of that sort. Make no mistake, Judaism as it remains and persists to this day is not some mostly true religion. It is a false religion serving false gods because it has rejected the truest and clearest revelation of the living God. On that night in Pilate's Praetorium, the Jewish leaders' apostasy and rebellion against God were made complete. So how does Pilate respond? Though he previously seemed to have little to be afraid of, we now see that Pilate is afraid. He's not merely dealing with local rabble-rousers. He is dealing with religious zealots, and they would likely carry out a religious war if they didn't get what they wanted with Jesus. So he takes Jesus back inside to question him some more. He figures... Maybe he can come up with something to make sense of this. Either Jesus will somehow incriminate himself and make crucifying him easier, or he'll produce some evidence that can be used to force his release. So Pilate asks Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus does not answer. Now this shows Jesus' purposes and intentions. Pilate wanted to release Jesus. And if Jesus purposed to be released, he surely could have said or done something that would have brought it about. But Jesus did not purpose to be released. Jesus is ultimately in control of all of these proceedings. He knows what is going on. He knows how this is going to play out. He knows how this must end because he must suffer and die to save his people from their sins. And this is how he has purposed to accomplish this. But Pilate is offended that Jesus does not answer. He says, are you not speaking to me? Do you know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Of course Jesus knows that. That's the point. Jesus is not like any other criminal brought in facing crucifixion who would say or do anything to avoid that outcome. 
Crucifixion is precisely the outcome that Jesus has come here to receive. Because he is God and acts with the power and purposes of God, all will come to pass according to his purposes. Though Jesus will offer a comment on this proceeding. He says, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So Jesus assigns guilt and responsibility for the evil that has been done that night. This is not to say that Pilate has done no evil. He clearly had. He scourged and tortured an innocent man. But the greater evil lied with the leaders of the Jews, who brought this whole sham proceeding in the first place. They should have been the ones who knew and recognized Jesus the best. They were the priests and teachers of God's word. They were to mediate God to his people. And yet God walked among them, and they hated him, and rejected him, and sought to kill him. And despite Pilate's best efforts, there is no going back. And this brings us to our final point. After the avoidance and abdication, we come to abandonment in verses 12 through 15. In verse 12, we see that Pilate continues to seek to release Jesus, but the Jews will not have it. They cry out, this time it seems they're going back to their old line of a sedition charge. If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now this is, when you think about it, actually rather amusing. Because the Jews were no friend of Caesar. They hated Caesar. They hated the Roman occupiers. There was nothing they wanted more than to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem and Judea to assert their independence as a nation once again. But they would do anything, anything. There was no depth to which they would not stoop to see Jesus crucified. They will heap condemnation upon condemnation, judgment upon judgment upon themselves, if it will make Jesus go away. More on that in a moment. But it is at this point that Pilate finally realizes that he can't stop this. He is unable and unwilling to resist the Jewish mob anymore. The comment about Caesar is essentially a threat. If Pilate doesn't take the desired action on Jesus, they will report back to Caesar how Pilate let such a seditious criminal go. Now, who knows what Caesar would have done with this case, but Pilate didn't want to find out. He didn't want anyone causing trouble for him with his boss, who tended to like to settle disputes with beheadings and crosses. So Pilate brings Jesus out and sits in his judgment seat the place where judicial verdicts were to be rendered. This will be a legal and properly announced judgment. The Jews will get their Roman stamp of approval. We get here a time marker. It was the preparation day of the Passover week. 
preparation day was Friday, the day before the Sabbath. Since no work, no cooking, things of that sort were permitted on the Sabbath, Friday was the day to get everything ready, hence the name. Preparation. And this was a more important one than usual, being the Passover week. And it is the sixth hour. It's about six o'clock in the morning. This proceeding, these trials and such, had gone on all night. And they were finally coming to an end. So the first words recorded here that Pilate uttered from the judgment seat were, Behold your king! Now this was not meant sincerely, but it told more truth than it meant to. Just as Caiaphas, the high priest, once unintentionally prophesied that it was better for one man to die in place of the people, Pilate here unintentionally prophesies that the one who he presented to the Jews that morning was, in fact, their king. Though they would not acknowledge him as such, though they would rather conspire and kill him, he was no less their king of kings and lord of lords and only savior. And how quick and loud was their rejection. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate gives one last out, one last chance to change their minds. Shall I crucify your king? And here we get perhaps the greatest show of treason of all the, on the parts of the chief priests at the end of 15. We have no king but Caesar. Again, they say much more than they intend. In their minds, they were lying, which was bad enough. They hated the Romans. They hated Caesar. They had no intention of honoring or serving Caesar. But they would say they had no king but Caesar in order to get the desired outcome. But though they didn't mean it, they told the truth. For certainly, memorialized in their words and seen in their actions, God was no king over them. Christ was no king of theirs. This treachery against Jesus was the greatest act of rebellion the greatest of transgressions against God and against his anointed king. They really had no king but Caesar. They had no life but this life and no country but an earthly country because they rejected and scorned the Lord who might save them. So all that is left now is for Jesus to be crucified, which we will look at next time. But fully, finally, explicitly, verbally, these leaders of the Jews have abandoned and forsaken their God. Their condemnation was upon their heads. But what about you tonight? Tonight, your king is presented before you. Behold your king, the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered all these things according to the definite purpose and plan of God so that you, even you, might be saved. Do not be like those who scorned him and reviled him. Don't be like Pilate who just didn't want to commit, didn't want to go through the trouble, didn't want to get involved. 
Jesus would go to that cross and he would suffer and die. He would drink the cup of God's wrath for his people. And those who by faith repent of their sins and believe and receive him are forgiven their sins and receive the gift of eternal life. But to walk away, to throw up your hands and shrug and ask, what is truth? Or to walk away trusting in another, maybe not a Caesar, but some other Lord, someone or something else that you think might save you, that is the way of death and hell and condemnation. Christ died so that we might not die, and he lives that we may live. Do not scorn him. Do not scoff him. Behold your king. Trust in him tonight. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, though it records for us the horrors, the betrayal, the harshness of what your son endured on our behalf. He did so willingly. He did so knowing what it would take, knowing what it would cost, and purposing to do it so that we, your people, might be redeemed. I pray that if there's any here who are not of your people, that you would by your spirit work faith in them and bring them to salvation. I pray that we would all be faithful to bear witness to Christ wherever we go and in whatever we do, so that others may be brought in, so that all might behold their King. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.